The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are wrapping up our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. And throughout this series, we've been looking at how the Apostle Paul talks about our identity in Christ. Because what the Apostle Paul does as he works us through the book of Ephesians is he reminds us that who we are is not dependent on what people say or the things that we've done or the experiences we have, but our identity is tied to the work of Jesus. See, the book of Ephesians answers the question, who are you? And so the Apostle Paul, all throughout this letter to the church in Ephesus, reminds us by holding up our identity to look at it from different angles, to look at, in light of who God says we are, what what that means for us. And so he reminds us that we are chosen, that we are called, that, that we are alive, that we are heard, that we are light, and that all of these define who we are, and that who we are is defined not by the things we do, but simply by what God does for us. And because of that, our identity is secure. And now as Paul takes us into the end of Ephesians chapter, into the end of the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5 and 6, what, what he'll do is in light of who we are, he gives some guidance, some instructions for what it looks like to live in light of who we are. And so today we're going to take us into the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, as we look specifically as Paul gives some instructions to Christian families. And what the Apostle Paul does here is he helps give instructions and say, as, as somebody who is alive in Christ, as somebody who is called, as somebody who is chosen, here's what it looks like now for that identity to influence your relationships. Now, if you're here today and you are, and you are not a parent or not, not married, um, what I want to do is I want to give a little bit of encouragement for you. Is, is Some of this, you're, you might have to work a little bit harder to apply this to your other relationships. And that's because Paul is going to be very direct in his application to husbands and wives and parents. Um, now, 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 for those of you who aren't those things, this absolutely pr- applies to friendships. Um, it applies to other family relationships. And, but what I'm going to challenge you is you're just going to have to take the mental step to think, how does that apply to my relationships? Um, because what Paul's going to go, where he's going to go here, is directly after the Christian family. And I think that's important for us because when we look at our world, the best place to begin when it comes to thinking about our call to extend the love and care of Jesus to all people, it begins in our own families. Growing up, every now and then there were certain behaviors that I learned were simply attached to being part of my family. I would make observations. I'd watch my dad at family parties. And, and what, I would, what, what I would very quickly learn watching my dad at, at parties is, is that a, after he would pray for the family meals, immediately everybody would get in line for food and my dad would stand back. And what I learned was that to be a man in our family meant, you, you, right, you, you, you not, not only he prayed for the meal, but then he let everybody else eat first. And so as a kid, I observed that and learned that all right, to, to be a leader in the family means you eat last. Or to be a Grunewald man meant, meant you let everybody else eat first. And, and now he never even said this is what you do. But I watched, I observed, and learned that there are certain things attached to the way he saw himself. To, uh, to, attached to how he understood what it meant to be a man, to be a, a father, to be a husband. Meant you let other people eat first. 
Growing up, I remember having conversations with my parents when I would get ready to, to go have, a, have a, a football game or a basketball game, right? You'd be get, I'd get ready, and so attached to that, right, you're packing up your uniform. And so I would be reminded that when I put on the uniform, that in that moment I am representing my school, I'm representing my, my family, and I represent my God. No, in that conversation, what, what was never expressed, it, it was not the idea that depending on how you behave, depending on how you act, depending on what you do on the field determines whether or not you're part of the family or part of your faith or a part of right, your school. No, that, that was not what that means. Instead, it meant as a part of the family, as a part of your school, you represent that when you go onto the field. And so the, your attitude, your, your work ethic, your, the way you interact with the refs, the way you interact with your teammates and the, and the team you're against, right, all of that represents something. That your identity as a family member, as a Christian, as a part of your school, that, ha- that influenced the way you acted. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing here, when he talks about the Christian family, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, when you put on the uniform of the faith, it will influence the way you live your life as a Christian. Now, your behavior, your attitude, the, the, the way you relate to other people doesn't determine whether or not you're on the team. That doesn't determine whether or not you're in. It doesn't, because the only thing that determines that is what Christ has done for you. But it absolutely your identity influences the way you, you love and serve one another. And so if you could, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,823. And so the Apostle Paul here is going to take us into some words about the family and, and make this, draw this connection between our identity in Christ and our love for the people who are closest to us. Now before we jump into this text, I want to give a, a few, few words uh, of warning. Because this is a text that gets thrown around a lot. And for a lot of people, it has a lot of cultural baggage. And so some of the tension in this text is created that there are many people who have misused and misapplied this text and, and have tried to make it mean things that it sim- simply doesn't mean or, or, or get, make it um, give permission for behavior that is not Christ-like. And so because of that, for some people, right, this is a text that has tension because of that. For others, it has tension because, because others will look at this text and simply say, well, I don't want to do what this text actually says. That, 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 that can't be the, the way that I'm going to operate. That's not the way that I'm gifted. That's not the way that I was created. And so what, what I want to do is I just want to acknowledge that as we jump into this text because some of the language here might make some of you uncomfortable, and that's okay. Because what we're going to do is, is we're going to rest in that uncomfortableness and we're going to press into what is it that Paul wants to point out is God's design for our families. And so as we talk about our relationship with our family, what I, what I want us to do is we're going to look at chapter 5 and chapter 6 because both of these things are connected to what it looks like to love and care for our families. And so I'll begin in chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Submit... To one another out of reverence for Christ. Right, I'm going to just pause right there for just, just for, for a moment. Uh, and, and see, here's, here's the thing with this text. The, the word that tends to hang people up when we read in this text is that, that word submit. Now what's interesting about that hang up is where people tend to get hung up is verse 22. When it says wives submit to husbands. And so I, I intentionally want to focus on verse 21. Because people often will leave this out. Because what Paul does first is he says, submit to one another. 
That, that as Christians, you submit to one another, and your submission to one another is connected to your relationship with Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That because of your love for Jesus, because of your relationship with Jesus, that will influence the way you act with other people. And so Paul here says this, submit to, to one another. And, and, I wa- and I want to note that because as we talk uh, about what it means to be a part of the Christian family, central to our relationships with the people we love the most is this idea of submission. And that looks different for a husband or a wife at times, but that word submission isn't a bad word. Now, it's a jaded word, and I, and I want to acknowledge that. In fact, I want to face the reality that for some of you, that, that's a word that is loaded because of how people have treated you, because of your experiences in the past. It's, see, what, what has happened with this word and why so many people are uneasy about it is that there have been people who, who have abused this text... There have been men, I, I, I can't even call them men, I, there, there have been boys who can shave who have taken this text to abuse, to manipulate, to control, to dominate white women and, and say, all right, I can do and I can demand what I want and, and, it, has, and, and it doesn't matter how unchristlike that is. That, that is why this text can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But when we are uneasy with that word submission, that is not what Christ is calling us to. Because what we'll see as we, as we continue, as we, as we read the verses that follow, what Christ is calling us to, when he says submit, he is calling, he's calling our families to love like Christ loved. And so when he calls wives to submit to husbands, he's saying, you're submitting to a man who is leading like Christ loved you. And so any man who doesn't lead like Christ, that's not what, what God's calling wives to submit to. And so, so Paul will even say here, right, that submission is tied to the reverence of Christ. And so that, that your love for Jesus leads to right, your relationship with, with your husband and as men to your relationship with your wife. See, what's, he, what's also important here is, is what we'll notice in the verse following. Paul is not saying women submit to men. He's saying wives submit to husbands. That this is a, a, a a marriage relationship dynamic that Paul wants to address the family. And so he connects it to reverence of Christ because your relationship with Jesus will determine the quality of relationship with your spouse. Now, this doesn't mean that non-Christians can't have a good marriage, that we, we know that, we've seen that, we've observed that. We, many of us know people, um, and maybe even know non-Christians who you've seen have better marriages than Christians. And, and that, right, so, so non-Christians can have a good marriage but when it comes to, to our relationship with Jesus, we know that our relationship with Jesus has an effect on us. Right? And so when I say your relationship with Jesus determines the quality of your relationship with your spouse, what that means is that because of, of your relationship with God, God is doing a work on you. Right? And God's work on you is going to make you a better husband. It's going to make you a better wife. It's going to make you a better parent. Because inevitably, if, if God's word is effective, if, it's, if it does make a change in us, it will make us more loving, more patient, more kind, more gracious. That the, the person I am today is not the person I will be. Because God is doing his work on us. And so as we have a relationship with Jesus, it leads to us being a better husband, a better wife, because God is making us into the person he wants us to be. Now let me continue as, as Paul directs some words specifically to wives. In verse 22 he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. 
No, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to, should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, we can't just stop here, but I want to stop here for just, just a moment because this is a hard command. Right, wives, as you read these words, this is, this is difficult. In fact, for some of you, this, this may even not feel natural. And that's okay to experience that tension when Paul gives this command. Uh, because that's what God's word will do to us. It will expose areas of our life that are not easy for us. That are maybe areas where we fall short. But what Paul wants to say is he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And so Paul means that. But what Paul wants to encourage you to to do is to follow your husband's lead as he leads like Christ. If you're uneasy with that word submission and you're a Christian woman, it simply means in the same way you're good with trusting the lead of Jesus, Paul is saying that your hope for your marriage is to be able to trust your husband like you trust Jesus. That your husband will do what's best for you. That he will lead you towards what is best for you, for your family, for your children. Right? And so that word submission is trusting the lead of your husband like you trust the lead of Jesus. And, and so, so Paul will call, will, will call you as, as a Christian woman to, 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 to submit to your husband. To follow the lead of your husband. And then he will continue. And, th- and this is where, where it's really por- important. Because Paul doesn't stop there. He then gives some directives towards husbands. Towards, to, to what it looks like then to be a husband worth submitting to. To be a husband worth following. And so he says in the verses that continue in verse 25, he says, Husbands, now love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That that is a big command. And what Paul is doing here, what what he's not doing, he's not saying just try really hard. Right, this is not about intention that Paul's actually after. He, he means every word of the command. And so he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Which means, husbands, sacrifice your own well-being for the benefit of your wife. It means, husbands, give up everything. Be willing to lay down your wa- life for your wife, for the, for the person that you love. That this is what you are called to do, to give everything. To love unconditionally, to forgive with no strings attached. So when the text tells us then that that Jesus does this for the church, he makes her holy and cleanses her. He presents her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. This, men, is what God calls you to in your marriage. To love your wives like that. Now I can't help but read this text and think about my own life. And to replay conversations I've had in my head. 
And then I'm guessing that you've had similar experiences where you decided to have that conversation. And so, and so you went into that moment, and you were, and you were upset, or, or, and so you're ready. You're going to have the confrontation. You were going to go there. And so I replay those moments where I've said, all right, here are my expectations, or here's my frustration, or here's my anger. And I can, and I can picture my wife in those moments of how her body language changed as she felt crushed. And the reason that that happened is what I did as her husband in that moment was I exposed the blemishes. I didn't cover them up. I, I poured burdens on her in a world where she already feels like she's not good enough. She already feels like she's not the mom she wants to be, the wife she wants to be. And so in that moment, all I did was point out that what she thinks is what I think. But that's not what Christ calls us to. No, he, sa- he says, instead, present her as radiant. Cover the blemishes. Hide the wrinkles and the stains. See, in a world that does nothing but places burden on our wives, men, we are called not to do the same, but to love unconditionally. To not expose the blemishes, but to cover them up. So what Jesus calls us to is to help our spouses be radiant. To do for our wives what he does for us. And so when we fail to measure, measure up to the command to love like Christ loved the church, when we fail, fail to cover over the blemishes, what, what Christ does for us is he actually covers over those burdens. He covers over those wrinkles, those stains for us. And that is exactly what we do for our wives. That we love like we've been loved. That we're not doing something that hasn't been done for us. We're simply repeating what has been done for us. That when we've failed to measure up, when we've failed to meet the expectations, when we fail to meet the demands, which we do every single day, that we then do that for the people we love and care about the most. Jesus doesn't shame us. He presents us without stain or wrinkle or blemish. And so Paul now will continue in Ephesians chapter 6. As he goes down this road of the family. And so he makes an important connection between chapter 5 and chapter 6. See, when we read the Bible, we tend to d- divide it into the chapters and verses and headings. Um, but none of those were actually in the Bible when the Bible is written. And so when Paul wrote the end of chapter 5, as we read it, it immediately goes into chapter 6. And we didn't see this break. And so what Paul is doing here is the husband and wife relationship is directly tied to the parent and child relationship. That these aren't separate ideas, but these are connected ideas. And so Paul will make this connection because just like your relationship with Jesus will determine the quality of your relationship with your spouse, so also your relationship with your spouse also shapes your relationship with your children. Your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your wife also shapes your relationship with your kids. No, no, this doesn't mean that, that if, you, if you've had a difficult marriage or if you've, had, if you've been divorced, that you have no hope for, for your children. That is not at all what I mean. But I th- what I think you would agree with is that when things are difficult in your marriage, it makes it more difficult for you as a parent. Regardless of what you think about, 
about where your marriage is at. When things are difficult, it makes parenting more difficult. That when husbands and wives aren't, aren't on the same page, when, when husbands and wives aren't working together, it makes things more difficult to give to your children what they need. And so Paul wants these to be connected because he understands that these are important, that the, one of the most important things that you can give to your kids is your relationship with your spouse. And so Paul connects these Two together. Now, before we jump into these verses, verses 1 through 4, what I want to point out is that there are some verses following verse 4 that, that can be a little bit odd to us. And so we're not actually going to spend some time in those verses, but I, but I know some of you are like me. And so you, when I stop reading, you'll keep reading, you'll keep, you'll continue. Um, and so what some of you might do by continuing is be like, all right, well, well, he's just skipping the hard verses, which, which is a little bit true. But I want to acknowledge that I know they're there, and I just want to give a little bit of explanation. Um, but we just don't have the time to go in the depths of it. And so in verses 5 and following, Paul's going to talk a little bit about masters and slaves, which is a little bit weird. Right? It's a little bit odd to, to our modern ears. And so when Paul does that, now it's not slavery in the typical context that we think of slaves today. It's, it's a little bit closer to an employer relationship, but it's still not the same. It's, it's, it's somewhere in between. Um, but what Paul is doing here, is at times people will say, look, look, at, what, look at the Paul, Apostle Paul. He's endorsing slavery. That is not what, what Paul is doing here. In fact, what I would suggest is that when we see where Paul's comments about masters and slaves fall, it's actually an incredibly radical idea in light of what we think about when we think about slavery. Because what Paul does, by placing these verses about masters and slaves directly after the comments about parents and children, Paul is attaching those relationships to the relationships of the family. And so, and so Paul is raising the level of worth and equality of those relationships. He's not endorsing something. In fact, he, he is giving a worth and a value that may have not been there, which I would suggest probably pushes towards the abolition of slavery, not supports having slaves. All right, and so I just want to point that out because it is there and it's a little bit strange, and so I just want to give us a little bit of context. But we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 4 as Paul writes directly to parents uh, about their relationship with their children. And so I'll read, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, when we think about the family, what's important for us to remember is that we only give what we've been given. And Paul points this out in chapter 5. He continues this idea in chapter 6. Right? When husbands love their wives, they love as Christ loved the church. When, when wives and husbands love and forgive each other, they, they are loving and forgiving as they have been loved. When parents love and care for their children, they love as they have been loved. The scriptures tell us we love because he first loved us. And so Paul will make this connection to help us understand that what's been given to us, what has been done for us, who we are, shapes the things that we do for our kids. Our identity in Christ influences our relationships with one another. That the way we love our kids is shaped by who God says we are. 
Now, what makes this so interesting about our relationship with our kids as parents is that central to our identity in Christ is, is that the Bible actually calls us children of God. And so when we think about uh, interacting with our own children, there are some interesting parallels between us as children of God and our own children. Because as children of God, that means we understand what it's like to be under authority. We understand what it's like to be given direction and guidance and rules by a heavenly father who wants what is best for us. And we also know what it's like to rebel against that authority. To decide to go our own way instead of our father's way. And we know what it's like to be loved unconditionally and forgiven endlessly despite how much we've rebelled against that authority. And so when the scriptures call us children of God, we we understand the same tension that we have as parents children. Because Jesus never stops wanting what's best for you. And Jesus never stops calling you to what's best for you. And Jesus never stops loving you when you've ignored what he wants for you. And so this, this is the promise that we read when, when it says Christ loved the church. That Christ gave everything for you. And that no ma- amount of rebellion against the authority of God is going to make Jesus love you less. Right? That is the promise of the scriptures that shapes us now as, as we love and care for our children. Because Jesus is willing to lose it all to guarantee that we always have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so when Paul writes to us as parents, that is going to shape the way we relate to our children. See, God has created our families, and in our families he's placed us in different roles, in different positions, with different opportunities and responsibilities... God has made children different than parents, husbands different from wives. Yet what he's done is he's given each of us to one another to love and care and serve for one another. And so when he writes these important words, he he directly speaks to dads. Now it applies to moms, but he specifically wants to speak to dads. And he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the Lord. Don't exasperate, but bring them up. And the Lord, that the most important thing that you can give to your kids is a relationship with Jesus. Now, when, when Paul says that these words, don't exasperate, what, he is, what he's talking about, Paul is saying, don't anger your children by abusing your size or your relationship or your position. Right? Don't anger, don't frustrate, don't exhaust your children by, by seeking to control them, by, by using your position to make them, to demand them to do what you want them to do. No, 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 here's the tension for us as parents, because we often do know better than our kids what is best for them. But Paul wants to caution us that sometimes you can, although you know what's best for your children, you might exasperate them by trying to control them when you know what's best and they don't do it. It's, it's almost like he, he could say it a different way. He could say, at times as a parent, you're going to have to choose, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship with your kids? Because sometimes in your effort to be right, you're going to crush them. And so sometimes, they're going to screw it up. But to maintain a relationship with your children means you love and you forgive and you are patient in the midst of those failures. Now this is difficult for us as parents. And the reason it's so difficult for us as parents is because we can't change our kids. See, see, see many of us, we, we like the idea of free will until it's our, until it's our own children. Right? Because we want to choose 
for our children. We know what's best for our kids. We, we know what's right. And so we want to be able to control our kids, but we can't. And so some of you, this, this is hard because you've experienced the frustration that you've raised your kids and they've chosen to do something that was not what you wanted for them. It was not who you wanted for them. It was not what you wanted. It's not the relationship you wanted. And so you faced the reality that you couldn't change your kids. You couldn't control them. And so they went a path that you never wanted. And so you, and so you look at that and you're, and you're like, God, what do I do? Others of you understand the reality because, because you experienced a relationship with your parents and you were exasperated by your parents. Because your parents ha- had an idea of what was best for you and so they, get, they put that pressure on you, the expectations on you, the demands on you and you constantly, as you were growing up, you felt like they were never proud of you. That you could never measure up. That you were never good enough, smart enough, never talented enough. That they were never satisfied. And so it exhausted you and frustrated you. And so eventually you know that the relationship just wasn't going to be there. See, we can't change our kids. But when it comes to our relationship as parents, it's not our job. See, Paul Tripp is an author and a counselor, and he describes two different ways that we can choose to parent. He says that we can parent as though we are owners of our children or ambassadors. That that these two options stand in in opposition that, that treat our kids differently. And so when Paul writes in, in Ephesians that we are bringing our children up in the Lord, right, it, it understands that, that one of these brings our children up in the Lord, and one of them is simply bringing them up in, in our own ways. See, what an owner does when it comes to our children, an owner believes that the kids are theirs, and so as a parent, they use their time, their authority, their money to form their kids into whatever they believe their children should be. Right? That's what an owner does. The owner sees it's their job to make their kids what they want to be. And the problem with this is that that kids will be crushed under those burdens. Children will feel like they're never good enough, smart enough, talented enough. See, as a parent, you are the most important influence in your kid's life. Even when they become teenagers and you don't feel like it anymore, you are still the most important influence in your kid's life. And so you can choose to try to own them and control them, or you can choose to be an ambassador. See, an an ambassador believes they are representatives of someone greater, of someone wiser, of someone more powerful. And they realize that their job isn't to change their children into something else. In fact, they realize that changing their kids is beyond their ability or responsibility. That instead, there's somebody else who can, has the power to make that change. And so instead, they realize that when it comes to best, that God knows what's best for their kids. That God knows the desires of their kids' heart, and God knows how he's designed them. And instead, parents as ambassadors know that when their kids rebel uh, against uh, their own ideas as parents, what what parents as ambassadors understand is that they are the best representative of grace and mercy to their kids in those moments. That in those moments as a parent, you will be the best example of Jesus that your kids will ever see. See, parents as ambassadors... What they realize is that when it comes to the transformation of their kids, that God's grace transforms our children more than our rules ever will. 
And so what a parent as an ambassador does is they go to our kids and they represent God to our children and they go to God on behalf of their children pleading and begging with God. Not seeking control, but seeking to love as God loves. See, as a parent, I want, you, I want to challenge you to think about, uh, think about our relationship with God connected to our relationship with our family. Because what, what is so fascinating is how God describes us is the same way he describes our relationship with our kids. 1 John 3 says, See, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Which means that the same struggles that our kids have and their relationship with us are often the same struggles that we have in our relationship with God. The same problem, the same rebellion that our kids often have in their relationship with us is the same struggle and rebellion that we have in our relationship with God. The thing that separates us from them is the same thing that separates us from God. And the same thing that changes our kids is the same thing that changes us. See, we can't change our family. But we can give our family the thing that changes us. We can give to our spouses the love of Jesus. The grace and mercy, the patience, the kindness of Jesus. We can give to our kids the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. And that's what will change them. In the same way that when we look at our own place in our families and our failure to parent the way we think we should our own failure to love our spouse the way that we should, what we see God do as our heavenly father is that he loves us unconditionally. That no matter what we've said, no matter what we've done, no matter how we failed, he continues to forgive us endlessly. And it's that love, it's that love that transforms us. It's that love that makes us more and more like Christ. It's that love that makes us into the parent, into the husband, into the wife that he calls us to be. It's not the demands. It's not the pressure. You have plenty of that. Some self-created, some good godly pressure. But the thing that makes you new is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as he makes you new, it transforms you so that you can give to your family not just your love, but the love of God. Let's pray together, and then we'll have an opportunity to confess and prepare for the Lord's Supper. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of family, the gift of parents and husbands and wives, grandparents, aunts, uncles, that in those relationships that you give to us people, people that we are close with and people that are often the best representatives of your own love and grace and mercy towards us. And so we come into this room from a variety of different experiences with our own families, and so I pray for us in the midst of that reality that you give to us and speak to us in the ways that we need to hear. I pray that you forgive us as husbands when we fail to love like you loved us. And that when wives fail to follow the lead of their husbands, when their husbands lead like you do, pray for grace and mercy. As parents, when we try to control our kids, when we try to own our kids, I pray 
that you have mercy on us and that you change us in all of those relationships to make us more loving and patient and kind for the people who matter the most in our lives. And so as we prepare for this family meal, will we can celebrate that we receive your body and your blood, that as you love the church, that we can receive those promises. I ask that you hear us as we personally confess to you our own sin and rebellion. The promise of Jesus is that no amount of sin or rebellion will separate you from a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the promise that Jesus speaks to each and every one of you today is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.